0: 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's that time of the week again when you join all of your friends from the original Deep State Radio for the original Deep State Radio take on what's going wrong in the world right now. Uh, and by all your real friends, I mean, Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute. Hi, Corey. How are you?
2: I'm exceedingly well. Thank you, David.
0: As every week and not always exceedingly well, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University uh, Law Center. How are you, Rosa?
3: I, I'm, I'm well, David. People just call me the the Eeyore of Deep State Radio.
0: I resent that. I, I, we will compete yes. for the Eeyore crown. Um, and uh, we also have with us the ever-lovely Edward Luce of the Financial Times. How are you doing,
1: Ed? Good. I'm at the median point between uh, um, Eeyore and like ecstatic. I'm sort of, it could be better, it could be worse.
3: Well,
0: that's <laughs> not bad. Given, the glass
3: exactly the, half full or empty. We're not sure which. Exactly 50%. given
0: given the gap. Th- yeah. yeah. So we don't usually talk about uh, U.S. politics on this podcast because you know we talk about foreign policy and national security. But you know, if you care about foreign policy and national security, you could hardly sort of take your eyes off the train wreck on Capitol Hill uh, yesterday and today. Um, It's been really quite extraordinary uh, because um, members of the Republican Party who as recently as a week or two ago were for a supplemental bill to provide aid to Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel, they're now against it. And who were as little as a week ago demanding a border deal, which they then negotiated, they're now against it. And what that means could be Possibly no border deal. Probably no border deal. And at the same time, and this, I got to tell you, folks, we have all been doing this a long time together. uh, And we have passed through some weird times. So I should be used to this. But I find it spectacularly unbelievable. That the United States might really not provide further funding to Ukraine in the midst of this war. Um, I, it's just, I, I, it's kind of nauseating and hard to comprehend. Um, but maybe it's something I ate. How do you feel about this, Corey?
2: I think you are exactly right, David. That it's genuinely shocking that that. A small group of Republicans in the House having demanded uh, inclusion of border uh, legislation in the supplemental, then refused to accept bipartisan, the bipartisan agreement that Senator Langford, Senator Murphy, and others negotiated. So, so that's uh, awfulness number one they held up uh, supplemental funding for four months on the argument that they absolutely needed restrictions on the border as part of it. And then once the legislative process provided that at president, our disgraced former president's uh, encouragement, they are rejecting a border, the inclusion of border legislation. So it cost four months of time in which Ukrainians are dying and running out of ammunition, having to ration the ammunition available to their forces for this clown car. Second, um, it's not obvious to me what the path forward is for supplemental assistance to Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel. That's urgently needed by all three. Third, debacle is the way the heritage institution and other Trump supporters are, are um, misrepresenting the aid that goes to Ukraine, 85% of which is spent in the United States, either refurbishing our stockpiles of weapons we've provided, buying weapons from American builders for Ukraine, or paying us for the intelligence and training we are providing to Ukrainians. And the fourth outrage of the dysfunction in the House of Representatives under Republican hands uh, is um, that, you know, if they actually care about the efficient use of taxpayers' resources, their inability to pass a budget is costing the Department of Defense, according to Elaine McCusker, former comptroller's calculations, it's costing the Defense Department $300 million a day in lost purchasing power. So this isn't about good use of money. It's not about the border. It's that Republicans in the House are demonstrating an incapacity to engage in governance.
0: Uh, well that seems fair and uh sadly not the slightest bit overstated. Ed you wrote a column on how lousy uh this Congress is. Um you call them the do harm Congress. Want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Uh yeah, I um you know, I I I hear a lot, and I agree with um, what is, I think, now a very hopelessly out of date critique of asymmetric polarization, namely that the Republicans are far more extreme than the Democrats, and that therefore th- the basic premise of American democracy no longer works, which is that at some point there has to be a sweet spot where bipartisan deals are struck. Um, now that's. Been the case with Republicans really since Gingrich, on and off. What's new and what's extraordinary about this, as uh, Corey has just very eloquently outlined, is that this is what Republicans wanted. Uh, The Democrats went way more than three-quarters of the way towards their position, namely that they would um, pass a pure border security, a border policing package of measures without the usual quid pro quo of including citizenship for dreamers, or indeed the original quid pro quo, which was a pathway to citizenship for um, all undocumented immigrants who uh, complied with the law, showed they paid taxes, etc. They abandoned all of that to do a pure border security bill. They gave the Republicans what they wanted, and the Republicans gave them the middle finger. Now that, you know, if there had been any lingering doubt about the nihilism, the um, destructivism of the Trumpian Republican Party, this ought to have killed whatever tiny scintilla of doubt people had. I I, I don't think any of us had any, but this ought to, for any wavering minds of settled. Um, that debate. So it is actively, intentionally a do-harm Congress. Now, the do-nothing Congress of 1948 that Harry S. Truman branded and campaigned against was blocking his fair deal agenda because they disagreed with it. Uh, now, you might think that they were wrong to disagree with it, but, you know, they were. They had a clear philosophical opposition to more federal economic intervention. Um, uh so it the the idea we've got another sort of do nothing irresponsible congress just struck me as wrong. We need to update this is a do harm very calculatedly a do harm congress um and it it does it does go bigger than trump you know that there is there is a there is a a republican theory that I think is borne out more often than not that um democrats get blamed for washington dysfunction because democrats are the party of government and most people can't be bothered to find out who in particular is to blame for the latest bit of dysfunction and so where i think the truman thing links up with today whistle stop tour repeating again and again day after day this is the picture this is the consequences for ukraine this is the consequences for fentanyl coming across the border Biden needs to bring out his inner Truman.
0: Well, he certainly likes trains. Uh, you know, maybe that's a maybe that's the starting point there. I um, uh, haven't seen a whistle stop tour, in, you know, I don't know since then. I think. Uh, what What do you think of all this, Rosa?
3: No, I I think Ed is absolutely right. I mean, when Corey you closed your remarks by saying, you know, this is a failure of of governance, but I think Ed's point, which is correct, is they don't want to govern. You know they're not they're not actually interested in governing, right? In fact, they regard governance as a problem, and and I think I think they're if your if your theory is uh, whether from a political perspective or from a theological perspective that we're approaching end times and waiting for the rapture, you're not trying to you're not acting in a manner that is calculated to get helpful constructive things done. You're basically thinking mo le deluge it doesn't matter um, uh, it doesn't matter at least for their agenda it doesn't really matter and I and, and my fear That's is That's why
0: that, I make a rule of only flying on planes with atheist pilots
3: all <laughs> right uh, but 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 I mean I, I and my fear is that they're right that we're at a moment in American politics where it doesn't matter and and where there will not be electoral accountability you know that where quite a lot of the voters as Ed suggests, can't really be bothered to untangle it. Don't go. Oh, wait a minute. Um, the Democrats are being reasonable and they're trying to do some good things that are actually in the interest of the United States and, in fact, in the interest of me, myself, ordinary person here on the street. That most people, you know, are, or at least a, a excessively high, a high enough percentage of the American public just says. Oh, I knew that those inside the Beltway elite types can't get anything done. Well, screw them all. You know, I'm also waiting for the rapture here anyway, because you know there's no point in doing anything else. Uh, I feel I, you know, this life on Earth here is not working out too well. Um, I, I and it's it's unbelievably depressing. It's it's just fantastically depressing. You know, the old adage "politics stops at the water's edge" uh, not only hasn't been true for quite a long time. Um, I, you know, on in, that was. In, in itself was problematic insofar as that sometimes op- was was offered in a way to squelch important and necessary debates about, well, what what are our interests, in fact? Um, you know, I don't think we should be saying everybody's just got to get in line and, you know, be on, everybody's got to be on the same page when it comes to foreign policy. But I think the level of, of Neolistic dysfunction that we're now seeing, which is coming from the GOP, uh, is just—it's—I'm completely at a loss for words. Right? It's just so—it's so—it's so bonkers and so god awful. I don't even know what to call it anymore.
0: Well, let's let's just take one dimension of it, Corey. Let's take the implications for what's going on in Ukraine, which is you know, for me perhaps the hardest thing to get my brain around. I mean, as you point out. 85% of this money goes to U.S. companies, doesn't even go to Ukraine, benefits the U.S. economy. Secondly, the return on investment is well-documented to have been very high in terms of the percentage of the Russian military that has been destroyed um, with a small investment from us and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears on the part of the Ukrainians. Uh, Thirdly, there is, of course, um, you know, the issue of the security of Europe and the fact that if we Uh, falter in our support for Ukraine. Other countries may be next, and some of those may be NATO countries, and our obligations would therefore um, go up, and we could see young American men and women put at risk in that kind of situation. Um, And there is, as you also say, there's four months of evidence that the Ukrainians really need the aid. And when Vladimir Zelensky was in Washington, he went around and he said, look, if you don't give us the aid, we could lose. Um, that's kind of hard to get your brain around. It doesn't seem to me to be um, uh, uh, hyperbolic. The Russians have started to make some gains. Uh, they, they, they seem to be on the verge of taking, if they haven't already taken, the city of, of Divka, which is the first city to fall since Bakhmut. Uh, uh, the tide seems to be turning in the wrong uh, direction. What if we can't provide the aid? What happens?
2: I I think you accurately portrayed it. Ukraine loses if the U.S. doesn't provide the aid. Um, And it would be a terrible thing for the people of Ukraine. It would be a terrible thing for the security of Europe. It would be a terrible thing for the security of the United States. As you rightly point out, a Russia that wins in Ukraine will be emboldened, they will be battle hardened, and we will have demonstrated a fecklessness and an unwillingness to protect and advance our own interests that will encourage greater Russian challenge. I I think it I like you am shocked at that so many of my fellow Republicans are willing for no actual good reason um, to inflict that kind of damage on our country, on our allies, and on countries fighting for their freedom. One one small marginal point I might uh, disagree with you on, David, which is that the Fall at Vėdvika. Um, could demonstrate a turning point. What it looks like to me, the Ukrainians have done, both in Bakhmut and in Avika, are shoe um, up enormous numbers of Russian troops and equipment in order for the Russians to gain a neighborhood that's already been destroyed by Russian um, military forces. So it's uh, they are slowly giving up ground at enormous cost to the Russians, and I don't think that necessarily indicates that tide turning.
0: Yeah, well, I mean that's a fair point. I've seen a number of Ukrainians and some observers referring to it as but
3: it's a small quibble part at the due margin. To this
0: problem, right? And and you know you've got other stories about Ukrainian troops that only have. Uh, Smoke shells available for their artillery and are, you know, unable to, to actually uh, fight at this point. And a lot of the technology involved, uh, a lot of the technology they need can, can only be really provided by the United States. Uh, and, you know, th- th- uh, that's why this is so serious. But Ed, it also sends a message to the rest of the world, right? I mean, even these four months send a message to the Russians. To the Chinese, to our NATO allies, and when they look at these four months, and then they say, "Well, they may not provide the funding." Gets worse, and when they look at these four months, and then they say, "Well, ten months from now, Donald Trump may be president, and he's already said he wants out of NATO." This is this is kind of a moment of truth for what I call in the article that you know that I had in the Daily Beast today, um, the the crown jewel of U.S. national security. Which is our alliances, the alliances that we've got around the world, uh, because they can't conceivably hold together uh, if if this is the way we behave. Uh, right, Ed?
1: Yeah, I mean, and if Trump wins, of course, you know, um, then that moment of truth becomes uh, something vastly greater because he probably will at least repud- repudiate Article Five of coming to mutual defense of other members of NATO and u s wouldn't need to pull out of NATO for that to collapse the whole NATO principle. Um, it's It's about the credibility of America's word and the constancy of its commitments. Um, and so even if, as I fervently hope, Biden is reelected and Trump loses, um, but we still don't get Ukrainian funding um until this time next year you know, uh, at best, let's just assume the rest of 2024 is is Capitol Hill scorched earth, Um, then um, even that sort of more benign scenario is massively disruptive to uh, America's uh, ability to say, trust our word, we have your back, Um, and therefore is bound to encourage more sort of forces. You know, people talk about the, Eurasian Entente between Russia and China, which of course Iran and North Korea are, are gravitating around as well. Um, well, that's just all power to the Eurasian Entente, to the people who want to see the death of um, an American-led order. Um, and whatever criticisms you know I might have of how America man- manages the liberal international order, the double standards, the hypocrisies, um, the selectivity of it, etc. It is by far the least bad system compared to all the rest, um, and and the rest is the Eurasian entente. Let's you know start with that, with a war criminal, you know, at the head of half of that entente in Moscow. So I can't think of an upside unless what we see the Europeans panicked into a more integrationist approach to defense and particularly to defense production. They just don't they can come up with the money when they have done. They passed 50 billion euros, they isolated Viktor Orbán's Hungary, in order to get that 50 billion uh, euro aid for Ukraine through last year, which is very helpful for Ukraine and uh, last week, which is very helpful for Ukraine, keep sustaining it financially. Um, But Europe cannot substitute for the weapons um, that America is sending, the air defense systems, a lot of the artillery, um, and tons of intelligence stuff. Uh, So unless Europe can sort of miraculously deepen and accelerate these sort of half-hearted early attempts to um, reestablish a defense industrial base, I, I can't see any possible silver lining to what's going on now.
0: Well, Rosa, you are traditionally where on this podcast silver linings go to die, um, and you know, and you know, Ed has presented one possibility, it's which already is already dead. They, yeah, yeah. well, he, he presented one where the Europeans could get their act together. And then said, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. What What do you think?
3: I think Ed is. I think Ed is correct, and I I don't really have anything to add to what Ed and Cory have said, except the following. I I just was reading Timothy Garton, Ash's latest book. Homelands, which is a uh, half memoir, half history of of Europe uh, in the post-world War II era. And it's essentially a a love story and a tragedy. Uh, you know, it's it's about uh, the hopes that he and many others had for what what Europe might become um, uh, outside, you know a- after post-world War II reconstruction outside the shadow of the Soviet union after the fall of the Berlin wall and the fall of the Soviet union and the gradual and relentless collapse of that particular dream with the, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine being, being in some ways the, the death knell of that particular dream, not to speak of things like Brexit along the way. Um, um, but just, just the, the sense of there, there was this, there was this thing called Europe, and it was partly a figment of collective imagination, as as you know, all political dreams must be. Uh, but there was a time where it seemed like it was going to turn into a reality. And uh, if Ukraine loses, you know, if the U.S. can't continue to support Ukraine, it not only obviously it's it's in terms of any any uh u s leadership uh further further weakens any u s claims to leadership any u s ability to lead or influence but but even if we don't really care about that um just this as the death knell for this vision this sort of liberal vision of europe um that's that's what this will be
0: well that's a, a I really the book, by the way pardon me yeah well it's book, a really p- profound um observation. Um, I want to follow it up, but I'm going to do so in a moment after we say to all the folks who are listening who are not members that you should be members because then you'd get to listen to the whole podcast. Uh, And the way to become a member is to go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership, but it's $5 a month. Uh, And it's like February 5th or 6th. And so it's only through this month that it'll be that low and then it'll go up next month a little bit. Um, so this is a chance to get a bargain, and there's so much more available to you on our podcast network. And every single one of the shows has uh bonus content. So, and
3: and, I mean, the fact is, if Congress isn't going to fund Ukraine, we might have to fund Ukraine through deep state radio, yeah.
0: Which that's going to take a few a billion more members or so. But I I don't rule out the possibility. Also, it's
1: February the 7th. Oh, sorry,
0: sorry. (laughs) Well, whatever, (laughs) whatever. Um um I'm I'm well that throws everything that I've said into 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 doubt. But in any event, uh, if you're not a member, we say goodbye to you now. And if you are a member, we say standby.